Hey everyone, welcome to part two of our wonderful interview with the delightful Barry Duffield. We had such a great time talking to him that we actually had to split this conversation into, otherwise you would have been sitting with us listening to him talk for a very, very long time. And we know you have busy lives. You have things to do, right, Luz? No. Oh, yeah. (laughs) yeah. I mean, they do. Maybe our listeners do. I don't. I've got no life, remember? But I am looking forward to the the next half of this conversation because it was a lot of fun chatting with Barry and I'm looking forward to everybody hearing what else we discussed. Without further ado, here is part two. Yep. Okay, so you've brought up Spartacus. I'm glad because okay. I've been kind of I've been patiently with my you've ADHD. Been patiently waiting. I know my ADHD has <laughs> been patiently sitting here waiting, going, "Are we going to talk to Spartacus? I want to talk about Spartacus. 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 Because because that it that was such a phenomenal show in 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 terms of just you know I, I New Zealand is very lucky. New Zealand got to have the the wonderful Rob Tapert do. Uh, uh, Hercules, 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 yeah, yeah, Jack of all trades. Yes, exactly. You know, it, the, some really iconic shows that have like a really iconic look and feel. And Spartacus absolutely was like the next elevation of that in my mind. How did how on earth did you get involved in that show? I went and I begged to get an audition for season one. I went, it's gladiators for God's sake. How could I not fit into that? <laughs> um, and so I begged and a friend of mine said, he said, you know, you should just don't push this one. You should really stop and stop trying to get your agent to get a thing for this. I said, why? He said, because you're nearly 50 years old. They're all dead by the time they were 30, if they were lucky. So? So, so I would <laughs> never have fit into it. it an old gladiator um, as rare as hen's teeth. But when it went to season two and they escaped the Ludus and they had these slaves that were being brought in from all over Europe, I mean, well, that's open slather. So I begged to get an audition and I did get an audition for it. And Rob, it was uh, not, sorry, not Rob Tappet, Steve Tonight saw my audition and he said, um, oh, I like that guy. He's fucking funny. And um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I got given a four episode contract and then that contract turned into 14 episodes. So I, wow. I just stayed in there. It just turned, it was just one of those things was really lucky as the character was a, he was a core cast, but not lead and ended up grabbing people's attention. So that's good. I so think I was really, really lucky. I loved great. playing him. Yeah. And I think it's far more interesting having someone in that, in that age who is not a young gladiator, right? I think that's way more fascinating. Like how has this person survived? How has this person been able to 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 weather all of like the physical shit that a gladiator has to go through, right? I think that is a far more interesting character to explore. I've always been a gym bunny though. <laughs> True. Uh, I'm yeah. staring at your muscles as you talk and I'm just like, <laughs> I'm like, you're almost how old well, Speaking of staring muscles, I mean, that was one of the main reasons I watched the show. <laughs> And I didn't watch all of it, but yes, like you, it. you're talking about all of these, you know, beautiful technical elements of the show and how it did all these great things. But I'm just like men, naked men. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? One of the funniest things about that show was still for me to this day is that the gay characters played straight characters and the straight characters played gay characters. And there was nothing funnier than walking past a closed set, listening to giving them the, the directors, giving them stage directions. Mm. <laughs> you got two very straight actors, which was um, Agron and Nasir. So they call them Nagron. And um, you could hear, you'd walk past the closed set. You could hear the director going, okay, now um, gentlemen, we'll move into uh, 
position number two because oh god i love position number two <laughs> <laughs> and, and we'd be pissing ourselves laughing because you know you know it's like you know that those guys are in there just going oh, just shut up and do your job you don't you don't have to think you don't have to be funny about it yeah but it, playing it playing a gay character is like it's i don't think it's that hard i think that playing a gay character if you're a straight guy is that you just go into it with love that's it yeah. It's all about love. It's not about sexuality. It's just totally yeah. about love. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So I have no issue playing that. If anybody's got Brokeback Mountain out there for me too, we can play Brokeback Mountain <laughs> 2. Just play me well. Brokeback Mountain 2. Barry loves his horse. <laughs> A little bit too much. Oh, boy. <laughs> so I'm glad that we've covered, like, how well you were looked after nutritionally on set with Spartacus because of because I can imagine that that was a very physically grueling space to be, correct? I used to take my own food with me for the most of it. Yeah. We'd have, uh, we would have the crew table would be set up and and we'd have meals for normal people, meals for stunties and for cast. So if it was gladiators, the gladiators would have to eat the brown rice and the chicken breasts and uh, we'd have that separate to ourselves and the others would just get normal food. And then we'd sit across the other side of the table and go, I fucking hate you, fucking hate you. <laughs> Go ahead, eat your goulash in front of me, you prick. I'm going <laughs> to do a sword practice. Oh, shit, did I miss? So sorry. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, you work with I some don't... pretty amazing people on the show. Yeah. Um, I mean, apart from yourself, of course. Uh, there was, I worked uh... with Vince Colissimo. I mean, that guy is absolutely amazing. I've admired him from day dot the first time I ever saw him work. He's brilliant. Mm. Yeah, and I got to work with Liam. I mean, Liam was amazing. You look at Todd Lasance, just brilliant. Um, we got to be a really big family out there, really not tight-knit family, but there were still people that I looked at and I was in awe of. I remember the first day that Richard Norton set foot on the on on oh, um, on set. We so love Richard, don't we? Yes, not yes. a lot of people. Richard, Richard's Richard was huge, yeah. but Richard was a quite a while ago. So not a lot of people really remembered him, especially the younger people. But I was there and I saw Richard's name come up on the whiteboard for the new cast. And I went, I, I looked at him and I said, I said, sorry, I said, Richard Norton, that's not the Richard Norton martial artist, is it? And they went, yes, it is. And I went, where is he now? <laughs> I got my pen. I got my pen. I'm going to run down and go, Richard, sign my boob. <laughs> I reckon he would. I have it. Well, he did because I had a tattooed in there later. Oh, wow. That's awesome. <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> Yes, Jess, don't buy into that. Damn it. But, that Damn it. Be, but I could see you doing that. That's the problem, though. That's how you suck at me <laughs> in there. <laughs> I'll tell you, I don't know. I've, I've actually had that. I was in France and a girl came up. She led right over my table and she said, Sign these. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. And you did, didn't you? you did. I was like that. Uh, okay. <laughs> Oh boy. That always gets me though. Cause like as a, as a woman, like, so say you go and do that to, to someone like Barry. Right. And then say you do go and get it tattooed afterwards. How do you explain that? How do you explain that to like any of your romantic partners? I think you just don't. <laughs> Bingo. Exactly right. There's I think you just own it. <laughs> True. There's True. a friend of mine out there called Eric and Eric became a friend over the last few years. So he started out as a Spartacus fan, but Eric has got my hammer tattooed um all the way up his uh, oh, his forearm oh that's cool and one day i'm going to catch up with him because he keeps saying listen you've got to come and we're going to write your name in along the hammer and then i'm going to have that tattooed in too yes yeah 
That's so Eric, right. Eric Moyles, if you're out there listening. <laughs> to Eric, great guy. That's awesome. You know what the other great thing was about Sparty? Sparty opened a lot of doors. It, mm. it, it gave you where you might go to someone and say, listen, I'd like to talk to you about pitching something. If they know you've been in Sparta, because so many people go, oh, fucking hey, man, you play fucking Lugo. No problem. <laughs> it, it's, it's not quite that dramatic where they'll where they'll just throw the door open and say yeah, yeah we'll take whatever you've got but you get a couple of minutes to talk to them yeah they take you a bit That's more quite seriously cool. mm. yeah but yeah. the best thing the best thing ever and i have told this story before but the best thing ever for me was the ability to be able to help somebody else because you get what they call celebrity which i think is a a really overused word because i don't know what the fuck one is and I'm <laughs> certainly not one but what it did do was um there was a, a, a young boy out there called Beanie in the States and Beanie's mum. So Beanie, and, and it really is called Buffy. Um, Buffy, Buffy's little boy, Beanie, had cancer twice. Oh, wow. So he was nine years old and he'd, he's got a frail heart. And I want to say a frail heart, medically he's got a frail heart, but that boy has the heart of a lion. Mm. So nothing stops him. But through her, he'd become a real fan of the show. And I know that they couldn't really get to come and see us at the convention. So I put together a thing where we donated money to get, get Buffy there and to get her family to this convention in Maryland and meeting him was one and getting him there and meeting that boy was one of the most spectacular things that had ever happened to me with that show or not. And that show was a, was a highlight for me for my career, mm. but having him there was better than that. Are you making me cry? <laughs> <laughs> I think, you know, people underrate the, um, the impact that we can have on others, you know, and I don't, I, I, we don't value it as much as I think we should because, I mean, obviously the arts in general are not as valued in certain places in the world as it is in others and, you know, Australia being one of those places, I believe. But, um, you know, the impact that we have, even when we play these, these roles that we don't feel are, you know, as big as what they could be, they still have such an amazing impact on some of the most interesting and unique people and and i mean uh, you know you can sit there and say oh you you gush about over over you know people that you grew up watching on the silver screen but they they will know that the impact that they have on you you know it's incredible just you know how much they convince you or, or, or how not convince you but how much you get sort of just swept up by their performance and want to be a part of that world um and you know, giving kids like that, just, you know, just giving them a small moments of happiness, you know, like it makes it all worthwhile, it makes every, yeah. everything that you go through worth, you know, those few minutes with someone like that who just, you know, you've positively affected their world in, in, in so many ways and you don't even sort of realise it. Yep, 100%. And I'm still in touch with the family because they become great friends. And one day I will go over and visit. Whereabouts are they? Kentucky. Kentucky. Yeah, they're in Kentucky. Well, hello to the family <laughs> in Kentucky. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, That's amazing. amazing, the whole bunch of them. So, uh, um, you know, Baza, what you got lined up? Yeah, Luce. What have you got coming up ahead? <laughs> what have I got? Well, I'm, 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 I'm slated to make a couple of movies with a really good friend of mine in Victoria. Oh, God, who's that? <laughs> Who could it be? Bob Who could Bruce. It possibly be Bob, Bob Bruce. <laughs> Bob Bruce. <laughs> That's my cousin you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, no, some some bloody Sheila in Victoria. God, don't know who that could be. But anyway, moving that, on. That's no. huge. I'm looking forward to that. What have I got? 
Yeah. Um, I've just pitched, uh, I, I've been writing contract screenwriting jobs. So of late, I, I think I'm on my fifth one at the moment. That's and awesome. we just pitched that to the producer of the world's fastest Indian. And um, then I pitched it to TVNZ. So I'm just waiting. Everybody came back with positive feedback. They all just said one thing. It's a huge budget, Barry, huge budget, <laughs> huge. What are you thinking? Let's cut this and cut this. And I go, no, 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 let's just do this and this. It's interesting when you get to producers and listen to I know you feel the same way about this, but when you, mm. you pitch a project and straight away they go, oh my God, look how much it's going to cost. Like the latest one has got World War One scenes throughout the beginning of it intercut with the production of beer. And the script is called The Great Beer Boycott, but it's set across two world wars and it's a true story set in New Zealand. But the first thing that the producer here did was he goes, do you know how much that's going to cost? For God's sake, to recreate the First World War. Do you realise that you think about this when you are writing? I went, yes, I did. I'm going to do it with file footage. You went, oh, okay, that'll work. I'll tell you what's really hard, like, as someone who does writing and producing is, is when I'm writing, you're like, I want to give myself over to the process. I want to give myself the opportunity to just let it come out creatively and be the thing that it needs to be. But sometimes there's that little fucker producer that sits on my shoulder in my brain that goes, yeah, do you know how much helicopters cost to rent? That's why really- they built drones. Yeah. Right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And helicopters are only five grand a day. What do, what's the problem? Use a drone. <laughs> it, it's, but it's, it's the hardest thing because like you want to, you want to create something that's like, that's you know true to true to your vision as a writer or what have you, but it can be really hard sometimes uh, when that budget demon is on your shoulder. Absolutely, I mean one of the key things I do try to tell anybody that I'm working with who's writing a script is don't even think about that. That's mm. because that's my challenge. One of part of the challenge of being a producer is finding a way to shoot something. Yeah, because I'm the sinking budget. that ship, Lucinda. <laughs> <laughs> cool. I've got I've got a toy ship. I've got a toy ship and a bathtub. You know, like it's it's not if that you're thing. in it making little waves, <laughs> making little waves, you know. Hey, here comes Cyclone Lucinda, <laughs> and there's a green screen all around the little thing, so you can just feed it in. I mean, you know, there what are a ways. Sport. There's a there are ways, you know. Of course, there is. <laughs> That's what I like. When you go, there's not a problem, we've just got a solution. Exactly. You've just got to find the solution to the problem. And you know, you can't get fixated on it. And, and and I think that's one of the elements I love about being a producer is that, you know, you're constantly looking for solutions and not just stuck in negatives or problems. And I I sort of like to try and think outside the box a little bit, but, um, you know, but that's what you have an amazing, you know, bunch of people around you for as well as a producer. You bring in the people that are going to help you solve these problems and bring up new solutions and create amazing ways around problems you know like it's it's part of the process and it's part of the fun so I don't like it when you know I mean obviously there are some instances where I will say to somebody look keep it in two rooms you know very minimal characters because I'm going for something specific but most of the time it won't necessarily be about the budget it'll just be about what are we what's the kind of story we're trying to tell and 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 keep it within those confines but um no I I I love writers that just go big and they don't think about it you know it's great yeah when i write i don't think about budget uh, i'm envious <laughs> i'm so envious i mean look at the film where like with a couple of the projects that we're looking at um you know especially shooting up in the northern territory it's a period piece because it's set in the 70s you know there are elements to it i mean it, it features a storm uh there's all sorts of elements to it that 
could potentially cost millions and millions of dollars, but I know how we can do it for less and, and we can shoot it for three to five and gonna it's going to be a, a lot ship. of fun. <laughs> 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 going to sink a ship. It's going to be fun. You know? Oh yeah. Absolutely. So it's, uh, I think it's all about perspective and finding, I think as a producer, you have to find the ways around the problems and, and you work with your team to do that. You know, nobody can do it alone. Um, was it uh, no man is an island? <laughs> <laughs> but um, um, rising tide lifts all boats that's right <laughs> yes because we want to be the tide we want to be the tide be well the tide. i want i want to ask some questions before we wrap up uh with you barry because you've been such a delight and i want to have you back because you are the loveliest person to talk to uh i want to know what i like the- you too jess <laughs> ah, stop. Stop. you're all right for it you're all right for a kid yeah i know i'm all right for a kid <laughs> For a 35-year-old. I'll t- tell you what, for a 35-year-old kid, I'll tell you what's really, what's really like a really horrible wake-up call is when when you start seeing like uh, castings or like uh, initiatives that are open to young people, but they cut off at like 30. <laughs> and you're it's like, terrifying. But, but I feel, I don't feel old. Oh. Like, <laughs> like, am I old now? Like, what is this nonsense? I, um, I understand where you're coming from. When I was 30 years old, I wanted to transfer out of being a military police dog handler after the dog had died, go to the Navy to become a clearance diver. And the cutoff date was right on 3031. Oh, that's so you think you think you're only 30 years old and you go, oh, my God, I'm, I'm old. Yeah. yeah. But you know what? When I call you a kid at 35, mate, I'm a kid at 60. I've never yeah. grown up. And I never will. No. And that's why I like you, Barry. I feel like this really, there's this really lovely playfulness that you have that just makes me feel like you're a big kid and I'm a big kid and like Luz is a big kid and we're just, you know, three big kids here having and a chinwag. Yeah. Look at us. <laughs> For our Patreons, you will be able to look at it's us. It's kind of funny because all of us have like, if I move the right way, shelves full of DVDs and, and films. Yes. And, and stuff. It's quite funny. I noticed that before and I was like, mine's yeah, not I as a, big I got a whiteboard in front of mine. Yes. I've got, I've got over three and a half thousand DVDs in this room with me at the yeah. moment. Mine are, uh, is more over there and in the cupboards, but uh, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty interesting. Hey. So, so Barry, I want to know what is just... the biggest lesson that you've learned so far that has impacted your career or maybe the way that you view your career? I worked with a guy called Michael Hurst and I still do. So I worked with a guy called Michael Hurst and Bill Kircher. And Michael was going to direct the, the work that I was writing. This is way back in the early days, probably 20 years ago now. And Bill was producing. Um, I made Bill's life hell, fighting every single battle I could about scripts that didn't deserve to be fought over. Mm. So a lot of the stuff was really early work. It was crap. <laughs> and, and I was fighting every single battle. And I, and I would have yelling matches with this guy over things that he wanted to change that he was so absolutely right on that I regret fighting with him to this day. Um, learning to, that, that that was never, ever going to get me forward because learning that the, this process was about building a village. And once I learned that it was about building a village and that everybody has their voice in how this is made, it's learning to shut up and that maybe something got added that was gold that I'd been missing out on because I was too pig-headed to stop, to take it in and listen. I, I think age did that for me. Mm. Um, you know what they say there's no fool like an old fool <laughs> if you don't take on the lessons and you just keep on repeating the same mistakes over and over again that's the definition of insanity mm. and I think I, I got out of the insanity 
That is a fucking great answer, Barry. And and I think it's thanks, mate. But I think it's I think it's so (laughs) cheap. It probably will, right? Of the checks in the mail, Um, (laughs) the people who still use checks, uh, which is like Americans (laughs) apparently. I don't even think they do. I got paid in the check from a company. I got paid a an option fee from an American company. I couldn't cash it. Oh no! <laughs> Two checks in my house that I can't do anything with because I physically would have to go to the bank to deposit them, and there's only one branch of that in my city. And How much was the check for? They're like twenty bucks. Like, yeah, don't get one for ten thousand dollars. You can't cash. Yeah, I know that'd be Ooh. the worst thing in the world. That would be horrible. I, I really love what you said though, Barry, because I feel like so many creative people can get really precious about their work, right? And it's. And it's it's great because you know you want to be able to advocate for your work and you want to be able to 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 really make sure that you know key messages or key themes or you know important moments are able to be the way that you envis- envisaged them envisioned them envisioned them. Uh, That'll do. And and when you, <gasps> I, I, yeah. I totally understood it. <laughs> and but when you're right, like when your ego gets in the way, you're preventing the village from being able to form and being able to to really bring your story to life in a way that you couldn't have even dreamed possible. And you're not creating an ownership. Yeah. You know, you want whoever's to be involved to love this as much as you do. And to do that, they need to have an ownership with it. They need to feel like they've got input. And I don't mean that feel like they have input, like you're just going in, ingenuously, ingenuous, ingenuously, ingenuously. <laughs> oh no, I've infected you. Wow. Oh, you have. <laughs> I think it's ingenuously. If, you, if you're just doing that as lip service, then that yeah. doesn't work either. You really want to be able to listen to that person and say, you know, this, but have the balls to go, I don't think it'll work because of this and talk it out without yelling at each other. But have, giving them a sense of ownership is really, really important, but it's a real sense of ownership, not a made up fairy yeah. tale that you just want to suck them into it. And then when they're, they're in deep, you go, well, I'm not going to listen to you anymore. I think, I think like it's tokenism, right? It's tokenism. You don't yeah. want to, you don't want to have like tokenistic, like, oh, you can look after that, but I'm actually just going to ignore you and everything that you say about that thing ultimately in the production process. That's why no, I like you genuinely you, want to do this with someone because yeah. you're in with it for a few, for how many ever years and however long many years after it's made that that project's going ahead that you want to make sure you like the people that you're in bed with. Yeah. Jacinda, yeah. I like you in bed, mate. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what I just Damn did too? That, that was a Freudian slip. I it was a Freudian Jacinda. slip. I know. <laughs> and by I don't that, like Jacinda. I love you, Lucinda. <laughs> and by that he means like cuddled up, like on a cold night, snoring in your face, <laughs> just making sure. Spooning. <laughs> Spooning. <laughs> but, it is, but it is literally like one of the reasons I love working with you, uh, Barry, because you do, you do, value the input of the people around you and you know i mean we've been working together for a while now on on these uh, particularly on the nowhere man and it's just it's just so nice to be able to feel like you're part of it and like you're contributing to the story and i mean that is important for me i mean there are moments where like projects that i work on where i have zero input as in terms of the script um i can give feedback and such but i'm not really worried about what they take on and what they don't take on. But then, you know, like something like this, it's such a beautiful epic story and it's going to be amazing when people finally get to sit down and watch it. And you do, you want to be a part of it and you want to make sure that the story that's being told um, will grab the audience and, and really just reel them into the to the subject. And I think this film will do that. You know, I really do. You know what, mate? And 
private, I've told you this. In public, I would say this, that everything that you've given me has been gold. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I try. I it has. Well, I appreciate that, mate. I appreciate it. I think you. there's even the times that we've that I've not agreed, I've gone away and I've had to look at it and look at it and eventually come back to you and gone, you're all right, you were right. <laughs> you're right. <laughs> oh, look, you know, it's a fun process though, isn't it? It's so, it's just, it's fun creating characters. It's fun creating storylines. It's fun sort of working through um, stories and, and making sure that they they hit all the beats and that they work, you know. And that these characters are real and you know when people watch them they believe them you know they believe that bambi's mum really died people she do did. she did die she did die she, right she did so <laughs> i'm smiling because i have a trick because i don't like seeing animals die on screen so i have like this whole imagined reality that i create for myself where animals never die in film and they just they just go on to live a really happy life somewhere else you know, we torture ourselves with them. We, we, and I, I think it was before Alfie died and we knew that he was getting to the point where he was going. And um, we'd still watch these movies like A Dog's Purpose, uh, yeah. Dog's Way Home, you know, and you, you see them and you're praying that they get through. And if they don't get through, my, my girl in particular, we watched The Art of Racing in the Rain with Kevin Costner voicing the dog. Oh. Um, we were two minutes into it. She was crying her eyes out. I go, oh my yeah. God, it's just started. Yep. <laughs> what are you going to be like by the time we get to the end of it? You'll be cutting your wrists. Yeah. I, I'd watch I that. Do it. I'd watch I just, that just to hear Kevin Costner voice. I got Art of Racing in the Rain is so beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. I do. I know you recommended I watch that. I have to watch that. Oh, 100%, yeah. mate. And I'll tell you, you know, dogs have a really short life. And I think that mm. they're part of the purpose, other than that they give you unconditional love, is that they teach you about grief. Yes. Yeah. I've, I think when I lost my father when he was quite young and I lost my dogs, and each of my dogs has, has had an important part in my life as my dad did. And the grief that I felt for my father when he lost was equally the grief I felt for those dogs when they went, mm. you know, there's Danny Boots, Rastus, um, Kina, all of them. I remember them all of them. And I never forget them. They hold such a place in my heart, just yeah. the same way my family does, because they are my family as well. I still Absolutely. struggle with it. You know, I, I mean, I still struggle with it. And what, what are we like almost two years on from when I lost my dog? I know. I remember. Um, yeah. And white Shepherd. Yeah. My White Shepherd, MacGyver, because, you know, I loved MacGyver growing up. And um, he was really cool to me. Yeah. He <laughs> was. It was a great show. He's a lovely guy, the actor who plays MacGyver, Richard Dean Anderson, the original one. Lovely, lovely guy. But um, yeah. He, Hang on, I thought Barry was talking about it was cool to meet your dog, not Richard Dean. No, no, he never met my dog, unfortunately. <laughs> I'm like, hang on, are we still talking about the dog? <laughs> no, I met him at a convention at um, Armageddon along with um, oh, Chicken Man, um, Giancarlo Esposito. Oh, he's I, got to hang with, I, I got to hang with him for a weekend and Giancarlo was about the funniest guy I think I've ever met. He's, we were doing a panel and he walked yeah. past me and stole my protein bar. Oh. And then he, st he stared at me the whole way through it, eating it, looking at me, just going, oh, well, you got a problem with that. I love him. He <laughs> is phenomenal. He, he is, is so phenomenal. good. I've been playing a bit of Far Cry 6 on my PlayStation and he's he's the main, you know, the main villain in that game. And he there is just something so exquisite about his voiceover performance and and the way that they've done motion capture on his face too to capture all the expressions. Like I just... He's if you if no one is if if our audience if you've got something that you can play Far Cry Six on I highly recommend playing it just to see 
the the interesting ways that they they weave the narrative of his character as the main bad guy of this of this island uh, nation, and it's just he's just so great. He's so terrifying and cool as a cucumber. As an actor, he's a, he's a chameleon. Yes. I, 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 I went back and I looked at his bio and I went, I've seen that movie and I didn't know he was in it because I didn't recognise him. Or I've seen this and I didn't know it was him yeah. because he was so different. Every role you watched, you think, oh, my God, it was the same guy. <laughs> and everyone, you think, that actor's fantastic. And then you go, it's Giancarlo again. Oh, that actor's fantastic. Oh, my God, it's Giancarlo again. Yeah. <laughs> but For such me, a that... sweet human being. Yeah. He is like, uh, for me, that he likens to Gary Oldman, who is just a chameleon yes. on film. Like he, you know, such an amazing actor and, and just can transform into so many different characters that I've seen him play. And I've loved him since Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. I think he's been an amazing actor in everything I've ever seen him in. Um, but um, Sid and Nancy was the first one for me for him. Oh, really? Sid and Nancy. Oh. That was a great film too. Yeah. You know, uh, for me, I, I think... It cemented for me in Leon or the professional. As oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like that was crazy. And Jean Renau and that was just, oh, I mean, just films like that that just capture you, you know, and just incredible, really. Um, but, yeah, it, it's um, it's a fascinating. It's fascinating, really. But people like that, actors like that, and, you know, it, it's so impressive to watch them play all these different characters and, and really take on these roles and half the time you don't even sort of think about it. You don't think of them as actors. You're just watching this character. And that's that's when you know you, you've got a good good actor is when you don't even really notice it, you know? Yeah, yeah, those times when you, you're you looking at it and you're going, oh, my God, is that, is is that? The performance is so great, but you're going, is that? And then you have to wait for the credits. You go, oh, my God, it was that. <laughs> so I want to know, I want to ask the two of you, when have you been so completely blindsided that, that you were watching a performance and you got to the very end of the movie and went, I had no idea it was that person. I can't believe I had no idea it was that person. Because for me, I had, I had, I had Cruise no idea or that it was Tom Cruise and Tropic Thunder. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That was Len Grossman. Mm. Yeah, great performance. Um, for me, I think it was Meryl Streep in, um, was it Gods in America? Something in America, it was the, the um, miniseries about AIDS when it came to America. And she played a Jewish rabbi. Really? Oh, yeah. We lost Jess. Jess Angels, Angels in America, it is. Angels in America. I don't Yeah. Yeah, don't she plays a Jewish one. rabbi. You would never know it was her. Well, you wouldn't. She was playing wow. a guy. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, no, I didn't. I, uh, I'm struggling to think of something like that uh, along those lines. Too. Well, Jess, I have something for you, sweetheart. Yes. We were talking before about Loop Group. Yes. So I read on your bio that you did Loop Group, and I did a video Loop Group myself. So I did a video game called Path of Exile. And we'd be in the midst of it, and we're told, okay, now we need some, I need, a, we, there was a character that came up, and they said, we need someone to do the pit crawler. So I went, well, pit crawler sounds good. And they said, now pit crawler has no lower jaw. So his wow. entire lower jaw is missing. So pit crawler, I go, okay, I think I got this. And here are the lines. They come up and it's victory. So I'm going, Iggy, Iggy. <laughs> and then it was, then they said, okay, that's perfect. That's exactly where we want him. Now we want you to go. Everyone's going for the count, for the count, oh, for the count. no. So I'm going, who got it? Who got it? Who got it? <laughs> <laughs> sound engineer looked at me and says, is he saying for the count? <laughs> 
I go, baby, you can take that any way you want it. Wow. <laughs> That's how I would do it, though. Because, like, if you've got to imagine, like, you've got to know, you can't get the God, that could kill you. <laughs> or we'd be doing the, you've just had your throat cut, you <laughs> And we'd all be trying to gross each other out. I'd need, yeah, Luke, I'd need a group was very special. Well, yeah, that? that sounds that sounds awesome. I, I voiceover acting is one of the funnest things to do, especially because it, it a lot of people don't realize that you actually do have to kind of <laughs> this sounds weird, but you do have to act when you do it. Like a lot of people think, yeah. oh, I just get on and I'll do a funny voice and that'll be enough. And well, and you still and, need to bring the character to life. Absolutely. Mm. You still need to have your purpose. You still need to have like the thing that you want, you know, like there's, there's all the other aspects to do with acting. That's really important. Just as important in voiceover work for sure. Yeah. Having an objective. I want to have my lower jaw back. You guys are fucking weird. <laughs> I will take the weird mantle any day of the week, honestly. No offense to uh, no offense intended to people that don't have a lower jaw, of course. No, no. Like, <laughs> this is, yeah. I'm know. sure there's one or two out there. I'm sure. <laughs> there's also prosthetic jaws. So there you is. know. We'll probably get that someone will come in and they'll go, um, I'd like to make a complaint. I don't know. I, somehow I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> and now that you've said that, it will. <laughs> We've had Barry Damn for it. quite quite a while this morning have. slash this afternoon. Uh, so is there anything that we want to ask before we wrap up, Luz? Uh Well, I guess I just want to say, Barry, Baza, as always, thank you so much for your time because, you know, I always love chatting with you and uh, we do it quite a lot and we still don't get bored with it. So. It's pretty good. It's always fun. <laughs> it's always a bit of fun. It's a good sign that you can work with someone and not feel bored by them, right? Like I feel like that's a that's a good indicator after having been, you know, involved with Barry's work, you know, all this time that you've got like a nice, nice future ahead of you <laughs> creatively. I hope so. I mean, I, I love Barry's uh, writing and I love the stories he's come up with and I'm, I'm very, I feel very lucky to be involved with uh, a couple of his projects really because... I think they're they're quite. Um, I think they're going to be a lot of fun. We just got to find the money for them. <laughs> we'll get there. We will definitely. <laughs> like, like they say in um, in Spaceballs, in Spaceballs too, the search for more money. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that was good because you put a Jewish accent on the end of that. That's oh God! <laughs> the search for more money. Exactly. You know, we got to get the more money. Now I'm just going New York. That's yeah, one. Sorry. No, well, that's all right too. That's, that's a gangster because we're gonna make you an offer you can't understand. <laughs> exactly. We're gonna I make know, you an know, offer. Of no money. I get know. To walk people, away with your life. I know people who Just know. Don't people. forget the cannolis. <laughs> yeah, you bring me my cannolis and you'll be all right. <laughs> all right. You make us. <laughs> you have. I really enjoyed it. I'll talk Thanks, to you guys Barry. Soon. Barry. All right, mate. Take care. Yeah. All right. Bye. Bye. That was an amazing conversation with Baza. Now we're on like. Bazza terms with Bazza. We're on, on Bazza terms with Bazza? We are on Bazza terms with Bazza. That's I'm, how awesome Bazza I'm so is. happy to be on Bazza terms with Bazza. He is a great I mean, human being. What a great conversation. I'm so yeah. 
thankful that he joined us today. And don't forget, everybody, if you head to our show notes, which will be on the episode description, you will see links to all of Barry's websites and socials. So please make sure you follow him because he is a great person to keep in touch with. And uh, and trust us when we say he's got some really cool things on the horizon. So hopefully Absolutely. we'll see them soon. Absolutely. The Cutaway Podcast is produced by Lucinda Bruce and Jessica Hutchinson. You are listening to our voices because of the delightful and wonderful sound engineer that is Corey Welsh. Don't forget to rate us on iTunes. Give us five stars if you like what we do. And please share and subscribe. Tell everyone to come and listen to us. The more you promote and love on us, the more we get to do fantastic episodes with our amazing guests. We will see you next time on The Cutaway Podcast.